Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. We know that you have a lot of questions about viruses right now. That's why today we're diving into the science of virology. In this episode, we'll find out where coronavirus came from. Plus, we'll learn how scientists discovered viruses before they could even see them and how they built the tools to fight back. We got this question from a listener after our last episode about coronavirus. Hi, my name is Ian. I'm seven years old. My question is, how do bats get the virus in the first first place and pass it to other animals without biting them? Ian's talking about how scientists believe that bats pass coronavirus to another animal that passed it on to humans. So Ian basically wants to know, how did coronavirus get started? And, like, why is it even a thing? To find out, I turned to an old source, which is the fancy journalist word for someone I've talked to before. You might remember him from our episode, The Sign of the Ninja Virus. My name is Just Dave Chahal, and my title is, I guess, lead scientist at Tiba Biotech. When I first spoke to Jas Dave, he told me that he's fascinated by viruses because they're like the tiniest ninjas on the planet, full of impossible mysteries and tricks. Yeah, the infinite amount of mysteries they propose to me is still exciting. And now that you know, I'm trying to make vaccines and make medicine, trying to figure out how they work so that we can use those tricks is for me sort of now the most important job to do. So it's like you have to appreciate how mysterious viruses are so you can help fight them. Yeah. The good thing is that scientists have a lot of tools to get clues from viruses during an outbreak. So Jastave is going to help us understand where the current coronavirus came from and how we've learned how to fight it. So let's start at the beginning of Ian's question. What's a virus doing in a bat in the first place? So viruses can only exist with other life to infect. Pretty much by definition, a virus is a parasite. A parasite is an organism that lives off another organism called a host. A virus needs a host to live. It hijacks the host cells and puts them to work for itself. That's really like terrible guest behavior, like someone coming in and like stealing all of your tools and being like, oh, I'm just going to build this thing that then will burn down your house. It's kind of like that, yeah. (laughs) And it just so happens that viruses consider bats to be excellent hosts. Bats are an interesting animal. They're actually full of viruses. It's no coincidence that many virus outbreaks have been traced back to bats. Basically, a lot of germs live on and inside of bats, and that's not unusual. There's billions and billions of viruses and billions and billions of bacteria that live inside our bodies and on our skin all the time. So even though we didn't agree to host a microorganism party, it's kind of always happening in our bodies, isn't it? Basically, scientists don't know for sure why or how bats throw such ragers for viruses. But one theory is that they just don't get sick from those viruses that easily. So bats' bodies are just happy and don't trigger fevers and sickness as easily as our immune systems do. 
So most of these viruses aren't even causing like bat colds or tiny little bat sniffles, which must be really high pitched and squeaky. Like, that's a really good impression. I got the sniffles. <laughs> the problem is really when the bats come into contact with other animals. If a bat simply encounters another animal because they're part of the same ecosystem, either in the form of, you know, it could be waste, pee, poop, it could be saliva, spit, it could be a bat that acted briefly in self-defense and did have to bite a potential predator. Scientists believe that the coronavirus came from a Chinese wildlife or wet market that sold both food and live animals. Basically, any opportunity you give to a lot of humans to bump up against a lot of wild animals, you are creating a perfect, like, soup where microbes can go back and forth. These types of markets have recently been made illegal, but they had a lot of animals together in not good or clean conditions, really close to each other. So it's not hard to imagine how, like, a bunch of gross fluids could have gone from a bat to a pangolin to a human. Yeah, and we don't know if all of those steps happened in the market in this case, but that's basically how it works. I don't think we'll ever truly know what exact route the virus took. What is for sure is that the virus itself had to at some point evolve the ability to make the species jump. That is something that happens very rarely. Really? Like, why is that so rare? Well, three things have to happen. First, the virus has to mutate or randomly change in a way that suddenly allows it to work in the cells of a totally different animal. Second, species have to be physically close enough to each other for the virus to make the jump. And third, the virus has to be able to survive outside the body for long enough to get picked up. Scientists have discovered that coronavirus can live three hours in the air in up to three days on a surface. Wow. Wow. So that's how it manages to spread and why we have to wash our hands really, really well. But where did the viruses come from originally? And why are they even around to live in bats? Well, viruses are much older than bats. Just Dave told me they've probably been around billions of years in some shape or form. Uh, so that means in the history of life, first, life evolved. In the very early days of life, there were tiny bacteria and then little organisms with just a few cells. And it was sometime after that that viruses first began to appear because life had to exist first for viruses to infect. When it comes down to it, viruses are just part of the story of life on the planet. But what makes them so special is how quickly they evolve, speeding through generation after generation. Like I can look at my genes and track back to my mom and my dad. But with viruses, there's so many mom and dad steps every single day that our computers basically won't allow us to track way too far back to the true origins. That's why it's so tricky to pinpoint exactly where one virus came from or how it evolved. But if they're so stealthy, like, how do we even find out that they exist in the first place? That is one of the coolest things to me ever, how we figured that out. Because we discovered viruses, humans discovered viruses, before we had the necessary, like, microscopes and technology to actually see them. What, really? That's crazy. How did you 
discover things you can't even see. Yeah, so the first microscope was invented about 140 years ago, which opened up a whole new world of life that had been invisible to us. What's the original term? They called them wee animacules, or little beasties, right? When they first saw bacteria. So the problem was viruses are 10 to 20 times even smaller than those smallest bacteria. Wow. So the bacteria were like, well, they found us. And the viruses were like, stay down. They still don't know we're here. Louis Pasteur, the famous microbiologist, suspected that there was something smaller than bacteria causing rabies. But he didn't know what it was. Years later, scientists studying a disease in tobacco plants also deduced that there was something dangerous they couldn't see. They took extracts from infected leaves and put the liquid through a filter small enough to capture bacteria. But something in that liquid still managed to infect other plants. So they were like, if the bacteria isn't causing this disease, there must be something else that's causing it. Exactly. And they called it a virus. The original term for infectious or bad fluid is where the word virus comes from, because they named whatever was in that liquid a virus. So they were like, there's something very small left behind in this fluid. We can't see it, but we know that it's bad. In the 1930s, 90 years ago, the electron microscope was invented. It allowed scientists to zoom in past the bacteria and finally see so, so many viruses. And after that, then they discovered that there's viruses of bacteria, there's viruses of plants, there's viruses of all known animals, of insects, and there's viruses of other viruses as well. They will infect each other even. Wait, wait, there's viruses have viruses? Like kind of cold virus get a cold <laughs> it's really a virus infect virus world out there <laughs> so what does a virus do when it catches a cold <laughs> just like ah, oh, need a vaccine <laughs> so once scientists could see viruses they could really get into studying them the most important thing that i think happened was humans figured out how to culture viruses and grow them on purpose being able to grow viruses in the lab meant that scientists could get into the nitty-gritty of how they work. To figure out their secret ninja tricks. Yeah, making viruses is a huge part of defeating them. And they're not just made in a lab like you might imagine. Also, the discovery that you could grow viruses easily in chicken eggs was a big discovery because that's how basically all flu vaccines are made these days. We grow a lot of flu virus in eggs and then we disable it, slightly kill it, and that's the vaccine we use mostly. The fact that this is how vaccines are made is still totally crazy to me. Like, scrambled eggs and vaccines using basically the same ingredients. Yeah, we learned how vaccines are made in our last episode with Jas Dave, the sign of the ninja virus. But it brings us up to today, where companies are rushing to make a vaccine for coronavirus in a new way, without the eggs. Nowadays, you can treat a virus almost like a computer program. New technology has made it easy to decode a virus's DNA, or instructions for life. So the coronavirus vaccines being tested now are written and produced like lines of code to shut down the virus's program. Uh, for example, I have open on my phone right now the genome sequence of the current coronavirus. I can now dissect and figure out how coronavirus works 
as if it were just a piece of software. That's incredible. So he literally has the code for the coronavirus ninja tricks. Yeah, but unfortunately, that doesn't mean that we can have a coronavirus vaccine for everyone tomorrow. The problem is with any new technology, making sure that it's safe, that it's effective, and that you can make enough of it in a reliable and safe way, that takes a very, very long time. So even though companies can come up with a really good idea for a vaccine a lot faster, it still takes a long, long time to make sure that what they make will really protect us. So you have to be very, very careful. It would be very irresponsible to take any experimental technology and put it into a lot of people because the consequences could be worse than the disease you're trying to treat. So it sounds like the best thing we can do is just do everything we can to prevent the virus from spreading further. Right. But like Just Dave said, viruses are tricky little ninjas. They're going to pop up and attack again. The trick is just to have a society that knows it can happen and that is ready for it when it does. That means the biggest tool in fighting viruses is us, understanding the science and doing what it takes to help scientists and doctors stop outbreaks in their tracks. Thanks today to Dr. Jasdev Chahal, lead scientist at Tiba Biotech. As we mentioned, you can learn more about viruses and vaccines from Jasdev and his colleague Omar Khan in our episode, The Sign of the Ninja Virus. Thanks to Ian for asking such a great question. If you have a question about coronavirus, please send it to us at tumblepodcast at gmail.com for a chance to have it answered in our next episode. We'll also have more from our interview with Joss Dave in a special bonus interview episode available for patrons who pledge a dollar or more a month on patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. If this episode was helpful for you and your family, you might want to consider supporting us there on Patreon. We'll also have more educational resources available on our blog on our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com. Sarah Lentz is our head of partnerships. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this episode. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I wrote all the music you hear. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more stories of science discovery. Mm -hmm.